As for today, when I was considering the text I would preach on, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll preach on the same text I preached on my first Sunday, too. And I'm sure you all remember what that was. <laughs> it was uh, Zechariah 4.6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, that would have been a good one, and I'll probably make mention of that at some point in this message. However, I decided to return to a text that I preached on in another historical moment in this church. It was a text that I preached on the Sunday after this congregation voted to leave the United Church of Christ. And it's a church that you've heard, excuse me, a text that you've heard many, many times. And uh, that vote, by the way, um, the, call, the vote to call me as part-time pastor and to enter the PCA had not yet happened, but that vote by this congregation set the trajectory for all that was to follow. And so this text is a text that you have heard many, many times. And uh, just to remind you where it fits in this last few sermons that I'm preaching, remember that we're talking about steps to get ready for the next chapter of St. Stephen Church. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 22 which is love the Lord, love one another, get ready. And then the next week was get set from Hebrews 13, 17, in which we were talking about the importance of serving joyfully together. And now today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 3, verses 20 to 21. And our point is going to be that you should expect the Lord to display His glory through His people, for His glory. Hebrews, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. You could probably quote them to me. This is God's holy word. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the privilege of proclaiming Your Word. I pray that this Word would be a blessing to Your people and that it would point them to Your glory. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. So expect the Lord to do great things through His people for His glory. Expect the Lord to do great things through His people for His glory. Now, the book of Ephesians is the first book that I preached through verse by verse when I became the pastor here, and it's a really great study. The church in Ephesus was the one where Paul spent more time than anywhere else. He spent more than three years there. It was his uh, great student, Timothy, who was sent there to be the pastor of the church. And as with most of Paul's letters, this epistle is divided into a doctrinal section and a practical section chapters 1 to 3 being the, practical, the doctrinal section, and chapters 4 to 6 being the practical section. And you remember in that first section, chapter 1, he speaks of God's sovereign predestinating love, a love that planned and accomplished your salvation in Christ. In chapter 2, he got a little more personal, talking to the Ephesians about how the Spirit of God had worked in their hearts by grace through faith to save them. And in chapter 3, he gets even more personal 
as he talks about how God called him to be a servant of the gospel, specifically in his mission to the Gentiles. Now, in chapter 3, there's a prayer that begins in verse 14, and it serves as a transition from this doctrinal section to the practical section. And he rolls through this, and at the end of chapter 1, there's a prayer. And as he comes to the end of chapter 3, he comes to another prayer. It's like a time bomb of praise about to go off. And so, in verses 14 to 19, it's so interesting, verses 14 to 19 are one sentence in the Greek text. So, my English teacher, Mrs. Stafiri, wouldn't have been happy with the Apostle Paul with his run-on sentence. But he does come up for a breath when he gets to the end of the chapter, and that's when we come to the verses that we look at today. And the first thing we see is we should expect the Lord to display His power. This is a doxology. These are words of praise. And so we talk about His power. He is the one who is able. The word translated able is the word from which we got our word dynamite. And so the time bomb imagery, I think, a moment ago wasn't such a reach after all. Your power, the power of God is awesome. He is not just powerful. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. And starting from the very beginning, that power was manifested in creation. I'm going to share one of my favorite quotes about that creation from a Billy Graham associate named Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, an African-American pastor. And here's what he said about that. He said, there was nowhere for him to come from, and coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing. The reason he stood on nothing, because there was nothing to stand on. And standing on nothing, he caught something when there was nothing to catch, and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. By the way, Job 26.7 says that he hung the world on nothing. So standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will and struck the anvil of his omnipotence, and sparks flew therefrom. He caught them on the tips of his fingers and flung them out into space and bedecked the heavens with stars. And nobody said a word. You know, you know why nobody said a word? There was nobody there to say a word. <laughs> and so he said, it's good. It's good. That's power. And he contrasts that with human inability. It seems more and more I'm hearing people saying, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I can't do that. May I substitute a baked potato for French fries? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. So we were at our, our granddaughter's uh, graduation party yesterday, and uh, my daughter and son-in-law purchased a very nice cake, it's a vanilla cake, but my granddaughter loves cinnamon. And uh, so they ask, can you, you know, spread a little cinnamon in your vanilla cake? Oh, I'm sorry, we can't do that. What? <laughs> you can't sprinkle a little cinnamon in a vanilla cake? It's not going to spoil the cake. But our inability goes far fundamentally deeper than that, doesn't it? Because of our sinfulness. We are looking into our own hearts, and we see our own inability. But where you are characterized by inability, remember His ability. When you are unable, He is able. When you are incapable, He is capable. That's what Paul is saying. He is capable. He is able to do what, you ask? 
Well, the answer is, Paul says, he's able to do what you ask of him. This presumes a life of prayer. It's one of the privileges that we have in our life in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that we, are, we don't have some kind of a sugar daddy in the sky, but we have a God who's going to answer always according to His will, according to what's best for us, and according to His glory, in the name of Jesus Christ. I attended a conference some years ago sponsored by a church planting network down near Philadelphia, and the speaker was talking about prayer, and he made this comment. He said, there's no spiritual advance without prayer. No spiritual advance without prayer. If it's true that without Him we can do nothing, we should be more reliant upon Him in prayer, because He's promised to do what we ask according to His will. That's why that midweek prayer meeting, the 72nd meeting this past week, has been so important throughout the pandemic. We've asked, knocked, and sought, and God has answered. This today is one of those answers. But He's not only able to do what you ask, He's able to do what you think. Other translations say He's able to do what you imagine. We need to have holy imaginations, don't we? If we have such a great God, do we believe Him to do such great things? And the text that came to my mind was the text about the woman who had the physical ailment, and she was in the crowd, and Jesus was pressing through the crowd. And here's what she imagined. Here's what her holy imagination thought. If I only touch Him, I will be healed. And so she pressed through the crowd, and she touched Him, and she was healed immediately. And you remember that Jesus said, who touched me? I felt the power go from me. And the disciples said, what are you talking about? There's people pressing around you, touching you all around the place. What? Why? What do you, what do you mean? He says, well, I felt the power from me. And, and then the woman came forward and said that she had touched him in faith, and she had been healed. But the text says that he is able to do more than all we ask or think. And in fact, he says, far more abundantly than all we ask or think. That word translated by our three words, far more abundantly, is one word in the Greek text, and it's quite a remarkable word. It takes a word abundant, which is already filled with meaning. It's the, meaning, it's the word that Jesus used in John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that you might have life and might have it abundantly, fully, and now what Paul does, he adds two prefixes, which makes it what we call a, a, a double compound word. The word has 14 letters. And one reference records that this is the highest form of comparison imaginable. And if it were grammatically correct, you might want to say, he's able to do the very bestest or the mostest, but we can't say that. But that's the idea. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. This is power. And that power was manifested in creation. But I think even a more impressive evidence of that power is revealed in Romans chapter 1 that we studied just a couple years ago, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Now that's power. Power to give life from the dead, power to forgive the guilty, power to turn selfish sinners into selfless servants. And so Romans unpacks that amazing good news. And when we study Luke gospel, we, Luke's gospel, we learned that Jesus didn't come just for people, for people who thought they were somebody's, but he came for anybody's and especially for nobody's who believe in him. It's been my privilege and responsibility to preach this good news to you. And as God is my witness, I have a clear conscience that I faithfully preached this gospel to you over these years. And yet today, I do it again, and I ask you, if there's anyone here who has not yet trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Don't let me get out of here without you trusting in Christ. The next preacher is going to be a great preacher teaching the same thing, but I love to see the fruit. But the promise is that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And that's why Paul goes on to say, expect the Lord to display His power through His people. See what Paul says in these verses? It's amazing. According to the power at work within us. How much power? Power to change your life. Power to turn your dead stony heart into a heart of flesh. Power to live a new life. Power to change you to loving things that are godly that you didn't love before. Power to impact a community with the gospel. In the early 18th century, German immigrants from the Palatinate arrived in the Conestoga Valley. Many of them were Lutherans, but many were German Reformed who differed from the Lutherans in that they aligned with the Calvinistic wing of the Reformation. This was exemplified by the Heidelberg Catechism. They started a church called Seltenreich Church since it was established on land donated by Andrew Seltenreich. And though the official date of the origin of the church is not known, church histories had to settle on something, and they identified 1732 as the best date to settle on. And then in 1798, the congregation determined that they would need a new meeting house. And in a historical sketch, the writer says, as the former location did not appear to be central enough, they agreed to build a church in New Holland, Earl Township. You are sitting in that building. Do you think those folks so many years ago, almost 300 years ago, would have believed what's happened here, that this congregation has continued to be a ministry of the gospel for all these years, approaching its 300th birthday? In that sermon from which I preached this text before, I said this. This is an historic moment in the history of this congregation. Sometimes the way forward is to go back, back to build a solid foundation on scriptural truth and practice. Time to consider not just how we will survive, but how we can thrive for His glory. This morning, I think we need to accept the fact that we have in our human frailty put limits on what God is able to do, what God is able to do in and through you. I have to say to you that I have come to realize that God has done abundantly more than I ever expected here through you. There's so many faithful servants in this church who've allowed His power to be at work 
through you. You've loved one another. You've served the community. You've stood tall through a once-in-a-century pandemic. You have grown numerically and spiritually, but there's much to be done. You stand, though, with an open door, an open opportunity to advance this ministry into that next chapter. A couple of weeks ago at our last joint officers meeting, where they surprised me with cake, I said to the men, I said, I said, my brothers, I said, over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear a lot of people say a lot of nice things about me. I said, but when you hear that, I want you to realize, and I know you know this, and I know you know this, that this is not a one-man show. This is about the power of God at work through His people, all of us together exercising our gifts and callings for His glory. And this church is going to advance as you continue to exercise your gifts and your commitment for God's glory. And we've had the privilege of seeing the Lord do it not just once, but now again. (laughs) It's real, and it's a blessing. Speaking of what's real, did you hear about the sculpture that recently sold? for more than $18,000 in Italy. It's invisible. Invisible sculpture. That's right, $18,000. The bidding started lower, but they kept bringing the bids in until the final bid was $18,000. The 67-year-old artist sculpture is immaterial, he says, meaning that the sculpture does not actually exist. Though he's received much criticism for the sale, he argues that his work isn't nothing. It's a vacuum. The vacuum is nothing more than a space full of energy. And even if we empty it, there's nothing left, according to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. I don't know that. That nothing has a weight, he says. Therefore, it has energy that's condensed and transformed into particles, that is, into us. Now, Italy News reported that per his instructions... This is really interesting and very funny. The sculpture must be displayed in a private home free from any obstruction in an area that's about five feet long by five feet wide. And this should interest you. Because the piece does not exist, there's no special lighting or climate requirements. (laughs) Now, you know, other media reports that the only tangible item the buyer will receive is a certificate of authentication that it's both signed and stamped by the artist. Can you imagine? You know, this artist is 67. I'm 67. I see a new future. (laughs) I'm going to begin to create invisible art. You know, I was never very good at art. Everybody can tell you that, but I think I could do this. Yeah. I promise to tithe the proceeds. (laughs) That's bunk, my friends. This is real. There you are. Here we are, brought together by God, saved by Jesus Christ, gathered together to serve Him moving forward. And every step that we take, you stand on the verge of a new chapter, and you're able now to claim these words again. We must never forget, though, that 
The goal is His glory. Expect God to display His power through His people for His glory. We learned that Westminster Shorter Catechism. What's man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Paul uses the word glory more than 75 times. And what does that word mean? But at simplest, it means to give Him the praise, adoration, and worship that He deserves. He gets the glory. He gets the credit. William Hendrickson unpacks some of the uses of the word. He says it means adoration or homage rendered to God. The manifested excellence, absolute perfection, royal majesty, or sublimity of God. God's majestic power. The bright cloud. Now he's talking about the Shekinah glory by which God made himself manifest. The light that surrounds those who are or have just been in contact with God. And also the state or place of blessedness into which believers will enter and Christ has already entered. That's glory. The Hebrew word means weightiness, heaviness, significance, kavod. John Stott writes, the power comes from him, and so the glory must go to him. He deserves the glory. And he deserves the glory from us. That's why we gather to praise him and worship him. You know, there, aren't, there are fewer and fewer people who are gathering to glorify God as he's revealed in the Bible. As the world grows darker and darker, this beacon on the hill is going to shine brighter and brighter as you continue to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's June 6th. Some of you have mentioned to me, oh, you're preaching your last Sunday on the anniversary of the D-Day invasion. And I appreciate history, too. And June 6th was a turning point in World War II. And some may look at particular dates as turning points in the life of a church. But let there be no doubt that the turning point in the life of this church was when, in the counsel of Almighty God, He determined to revitalize this church. When people ask me about the St. Stephen story, here's what I say. I say, when God says go, it goes. <laughs> and that's what we've seen here. And that's what you're going to continue to see here as you allow God to use His power through you. And so it must be in the church, but also in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the reason we're here. Apart from Jesus Christ, I'm not here. You're not here. Nothing is here. Jesus Christ is the one, when He came, John the Apostle wrote, we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the bread of life. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the chief shepherd. He's the deliverer. He's the gate. He's the firstborn from the dead. He is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And He is the light of the world, my friends. And that's why we're here, because of His work. And that glory, the glory of Jesus Christ, as He was the light of the world, now He says to you, you are the light of the world. So that energy, that power will flow through the Spirit, through you, and continue to glorify Him in the days ahead. Now, how does Paul finish this? He says, through all generations forever and ever, 
Amen. Amen. Do you believe that God is going to use, dis display His power through you for His glory? If so, say amen. 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 I believe that too. And so as we look to the future, remember to love one another, love the Lord, serve joyfully together, and expect the Lord to display His power through you for His glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to You today for the joy of knowing You, Lord. But we are so grateful that You have called us together. You have not called us in isolation, but You have called us together so that Your power might be displayed through us. And I pray, O oh Lord, for Your blessing on this congregation, that Your mighty power, Your mighty plan would continue to unfold through these people as they serve You and glorify You, and that You would do so, that they would be blessed by the continuing ministry of the Word from this pulpit and all of this, Lord, that You might be glorified. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.